Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. Welcome to the after party. It's time to change. You're just getting started. You can teach an old dog new ways and not just on Saturday. Hi there, this is Anna David. You're listening to After Party Pod. Now, this is crazy. This is episode 100. We made it. Centennial. Faithful listeners know this started off as a weekly podcast, and then it's producer, host, writer, and whatever else she is, person with a cold today, got overwhelmed, and it became bi-weekly. And I love that you guys stuck with it and stuck with me. And... Yet, we crept along till 100. Uh, what's pretty amazing is <clears throat> this is somewhat accidental that number 100 is such a special show. I kind of knew I was counting and, um, ooh, sorry, I just got really close to the mic. I hope that wasn't totally annoying. Um, but my guest today is Josie. Now, if you are into recovery or uh, the players in recovery, you know the name Josie. In fact, um, probably a year ago, a listener emailed me and said, you've got to get this guy on your show. And I said, you know, he's in Canada. I don't do Skype. I have, I'm a sound snob, even though all I do is have sound issues. And I was lucky enough to connect with Joe on, on the Twitter, as you kids call it. None of you do, but let's just pretend you do. And he uh, was willing to come to L.A. I mean, he was already kind of going to be in L.A. And uh, not only was I able to interview him, but then it happened to be the same day my mother was visiting. And so mom had to sit there and listen slash got to. And we even got her to say something um, on sort of. She said something and then Joe was able to summarize it so you could hear it. And he's my most intellectual guest and my mother is an a former English professor uh, so it was kind of cool you know that she could see that I know how to have smart conversations right um, but anyway Josie is uh, four decades sober mm-hmm. and he runs I, I think it's safe to say a movement called rebellion dogs um, if you're familiar with the literature, there's a line, rebellion dogs are every step. So it's a very clever turning a verb into a noun. I think that's what I mean. I know, dog, whatever. Anyway, he is the author of the very popular book, Beyond Belief, Agnostic Musings for 12-Step Life. And the reason agnostic is in his title of his book is that is, uh, that is what his, his mission in life is. I don't know if that's overstating. Um, he is very interested in spreading awareness about how it's possible to be an agnostic in 12-step. He is not somebody who has 
any issues with the program. He loves the program. But uh, but he came to see that this is something that, that should be talked about, and he's right. And many, many people are incredibly appreciative of the, of the work that he does. He goes around the world speaking about this, and he is a, a fantastically fascinating guy. So what, what else do I want to tell you about him? Uh, you can check out uh, everything he does at Rebellion Dogs Publishing. Dot com and and he's he's awesome so go get his book uh you can get that on his website and uh he's got a radio show oh sorry he's got a whole bunch of other things he's got something called rebellious radio he is also uh probably the greatest living expert on 12-step history no stuff that that blew me away i don't i don't know much at all but never never said i did but anyway that is who your guest is today. What else do I want to tell you? You can uh, find more information about After Party Pod. You can find us on Twitter. Uh, it, uh, when I say us, I mean After Party Magazine, which is what After Party Pod is a part of. After Party Magazine posts 12 stories a day about addiction and recovery. Um, like I said, we're on Twitter at after Party site. Uh, we are on Facebook, the After Party group. Uh, but if you're going to the URL, it's facebook.com slash chat because I don't know if you've ever tried to change a name on Facebook. It ain't easy. Um, and um, oh, and if you want a copy of our free um, of our ebook, How I Got Sober, 10 Alcoholics and Addicts Share Their Stories, it is available on Amazon, but I can send you a free copy or at least Someone I work with, Ken. All you got to do is send an email to info at theafterpartygroup.com and we will get that out to you. And um, the other main thing that I want to tell you is terribly exciting to me, which is that I'm launching a new podcast. That's all I'm going to tell you right now, but it is very much in the works. I'm very passionate about it. And I can't uh, say much more except that it's coming soon. And I cannot tell you how much I would appreciate it if you guys... uh, I don't know, moved over there too. It's going to be weekly. It's going to be good. If you're interested in this, it's expanding a little bit on this. I mean, a lot on this. And I will be telling you more in future weeks. What else did I want to talk about? I got um, a great email from a listener from um, somebody named Paul who, uh, who loves the podcast. He does. He talks specifically about the episodes with John Heffron, Jeff Rhoda, Bob Marier, Cindy, Cindy Caponera, and uh, really loves this podcast. He found it because he was listening to Stephanie Miller's SMS podcast. I, I had to admit to him, I didn't know who that was. Um, and she has something called the After Party Videocast, and some of the my podcast guests have been on that. So that's from Paul. Love your emails. You can email me, Anna, at theafterpartygroup.com. Anyway, this is Josie. I first started taking drugs by chewing blocks of hash. Oh, my God. I think my copy has, like, blood stains on it from shooting up while reading it. Party animal. I hate to say that because that makes me sound Paris Hilton. I was on the, as right. I call it, the Autobahn to nowhere. I'm very lucky because would you have wanted to have a celebrity junkie for a dad? Okay, Joe. Yes. I'm so excited you're here. This has been a tumultuous I'm so excited beginning. I'm here, yes. Um, but our beginning, I was just telling you as we were getting um, hot tea that was actually cold. Yeah. That I first heard of you because um, a listener emailed me, I want to say a year ago. Yeah. Said, you have to have Joe C on your podcast. 
he's in Canada. And I yeah. said, oh, that's great. I you know, looked you up. I found out all the info. And I was like, I don't do Skype because I'm a sound snob, which is ironic because my sound always gets screwed up. <laughs> and, and this is what I stopped. To, I, I got distracted by the cold tea. But I assigned my writer, Tracy, a story on you, which she just never got started on. Right. Then we met on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny how that works. I mean, let's face it. Um, this continent is a big landmass, but the recovery community is a small town, mm-hmm. you know, and especially podcasting, you know, a smaller town. So, mm-hmm. you know, we've got crossover listeners, of course, you know, and uh, hey, guys, yeah. are you excited we're together? <laughs> yeah, I bet they are. <laughs> so and and so I what happened and then at, at Unite to Face Addiction in D.C., yeah. mm-hmm. I remember standing near um bleachers kind of and somebody yep. goes oh look Josie's dancing over there <laughs> and I go oh Josie I wanted to meet him but then that was the extent of it you were dancing on bleachers does, does I, this ring a bell I do that sure yeah yeah I'm known to do that um and then and then I think you tweeted at me something about the show and I was like you listen to the show this is so exciting yeah and that's how it's all started yeah the problem is there's more and more great shows mm-hmm. used to be there were a couple and most of them were pretty bad I mean they were they were kind of old-fashioned sounding mm-hmm. and then there were some hip ones and some new ones about and, recovery you mean yeah, exactly really yeah I don't for think sure. I'm so um, ignorant about mm-hmm. what else is out there. Yeah, well, since right now, you know... I'd uh, love those guys. Yeah, exactly. They're great, right? Mm-hmm. And, but that's the only one I really know, besides uh, you. Yeah, well, there, there's more. It, it, I mean, there's some that have been around forever, right? I mean, uh, in here in California, right, there's Recovery 101. It's kind of like three people. It's like coffee shop talk after uh, AA or... NA meeting. It's just the meeting after the meeting. Yeah, exactly. And and they've had a show forever. I've never heard of it. Yeah. I, I know nothing. Yeah, and then there's like real, you know, uh, big book thumper type of, you know, uh, kneeling at the altar of. All and they have shows. Twelve steps. These people. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, who wouldn't take advantage of this uh, medium? I mean, if you're into anonymity, it's anonymous, right? You know, it's creative. Your reach is worldwide, right? You know, if people can find you it doesn't matter where you broadcast from well in terms of anonymity it's not anonymous for me or my guests where yeah. you're the first one who's going to come on without a last name <laughs> i don't even know your last name yeah so the anonymity thing it's it's the opposite yeah you know, for this show yeah i am so like cutting edge on some things but old school and other things yeah and you know that anonymity thing i mean why not the you know the medium isn't the message the message is the message right so well, what about being open about what's in the literature and talking specifically about it, but still, it isn't that, um, you know, disobeying the 11th tradition as much as not saying your last name? How so? Well, I mean, I, I you know, I have a thing where I, I won't talk specifically about the literature because... Oh, oh, on your show, okay. In right. general. Right. Okay, I mean, yeah. in writing. Right, I mean, okay, yeah. People, yes, absolutely. Um, but I think it's more um, protectiveness because I think that it, you know, just like eavesdropping on a conversation, the people always sound like idiots, even if it's like Einstein and Shakespeare, they <laughs> sound stupid because you're not a part of the conversation. To me, letting anybody who doesn't understand this in on what some of the literature says and what they, they'll never understand it. And so it, it, it gives them a, an opportunity to judge, which they're already doing so much anyway. But. 
podcasts aren't like uh, like radio where people just turn a station on and leave it there and they would stumble across your show and listen to it anyway because they're not going to bother changing the channel. Right, true. You know, they want to hear your show. They come, they're a particular demographic. I wish I knew more about the demographic of my audience, but I treat them to their fair share of anonymity too, right? But, you know, like it, it's not like strangers to the recovery community are listening to your show or my show for you know shits and giggles um i will say that this woman on facebook um who i got to know not in recovery all doesn't know anything about recovery is like huge fan of your podcast she was a fan of somebody that i had on the podcast listens all the time i'm like Why oh are you well interested? that'll happen for sure are you yeah. Interested? yeah totally yeah yeah, and then again, you get this crossover audience thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. What? Um, so tell, let's tell listeners about your show. Okay. Uh, my show is called uh, Rebellion Dogs Radio, and the tagline is uh, uh, "Less Dogma, More Bite," uh, because I'm all about you know pushing forward. There's a real resistance to change in any society book-based societies especially, they usually break off into two camps. There's the preserving the integrity of the message camp, and then there's the expanding or widening the gateway camp. Mm-hmm. And they both see the others as chaotic and frightening, right? You know, uh, you know and I, I'm thinking in terms of uh, the preserving the integrity of the message camp, it, you know, that they're more likely to, um, you know, uh, treat the steps as sacred and the expanding the uh, message to more people, they're more treating it as a tool, mm-hmm. right? Take what you like, leave the rest, right? So well, what's interesting about that is that um, I see you as such an exception to this truly, but the vitriol of the people who have an issue with the uh, spirituality or religiousness mm-hmm. of the program mm-hmm. um, compared to, and this is just anecdotal within 12 step people are like, ah, people got an issue with that. They're, you know, revolting or they're doing whatever. Let them do it. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. That, um, you know, people who reject sort of a traditional theistic kind of spirituality are still seen maybe as intellectual holdouts. Maybe they're, you know, just, you know, sort of trying to intellectualize a process that is quote unquote spiritual, whatever that means. Right. I, I mean, what does intellectualizing it mean? What does, you know, spiritual mean? I mean, it, it's like yellow. You and I could talk about what yellow, my experience of yellow and your experience of yellow, we would never know if we're seeing the same I could shape. be seeing red and yeah, you yeah. call that yellow. Yeah, we would never I know. I call it yellow. And, and that's the problem with these words, right? Agnostic, atheist, spiritual. Uh, they're almost meaningless because while they mean something to everybody... They mean different things. Yeah, everyone's nodding, but we don't have a consensus on exactly what that explanation of a a process is. Do you think there are other words like that in the English language? Uh, Let's see. I think, uh, oh, uh, that uh, people, you know, get mixed up. Yeah, that, that they mean different things to different people. I mean, I guess colors... Works. Yeah, yeah, colors for sure. Like, uh, uh, you know, I am from the music business, so indie. You know, for some people, that's a sound. It's a for other people, it's a management style, and other people, it's a band that's not good enough to be signed by a label, <laughs> right? You know, and so you say an indie band, and you you don't know what message you're conveying because they're going to hear it based on their understanding of the word indie. Right. Right. 
Um, that's interesting. I was just thinking my mom and I went to the last bookstore today and I saw Lena Dunham's book. Um, lo- huge Lena Dunham fan under literary nonfiction. Mm-hmm. I thought that's the definition of literary nonfiction. You know, if that wasn't Lena Dunham, that'd be considered chiclet. That's crazy. But, it, you know, sort of an example of that. Yeah, well, it's just, you know, I think um, someone once said, and I really buy into this, that uh, experience trumps explanation. If you and I talk about our experience of addiction and our experience of recovery, we're going to nod and agree with each other. But then we try to explain it. I'm an alcoholic because I came from a dysfunctional home or I'm an alcoholic because of whatever or I recovered because I worked the 12 steps or we associate some sort of agency to what our experience was and we might not be agreeing anymore. Right, right. But we were 100% connecting when we were just talking about the experience without the explanation. It's the explanation where people, uh, you know, sort of divide into camps that's really interesting what um going back to this idea that um some of the people who well i guess some of the people who are anti-12 steps are very angry it reminds me a little bit of like sort of san francisco versus la Mm -hmm. or or new york versus la where in la we're like oh yeah love san francisco love new york and then and then in those cities they're like ah those la people and they're very angry yeah for sure and it's like uh either you know you're you're pro new york or or not right same thing right Uh, and even Alcoholics Anonymous has that issue, right? That GSO happens to be in New York City. Mm-hmm. So everywhere else is, you know, don't tell me how to run my home group, mm-hmm. right? You know, I, I don't want you a liberal, you know, intellectuals ruining my 12-step program or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of sort of mistrust just because of that sort of New York connection, right? Mm-hmm. And then again, uh, the culture in San Francisco is very different than it is in L.A. Things that are important to people are different. Montreal, Toronto has the same issue. Like, well, Toronto is kind of, you're either Toronto, center of the universe, or anti-Toronto. Right. You know, it's kind of that way. It's, uh, it's, it's unnecessary, it's yeah. unhelpful, but it's human nature. And your story, you got into 12-step as a teenager, right? Yeah. You shake any family tree and a drunk or two are going to fall out Mm -hmm. of it, right? You know, you just, nobody avoids that. And in my case, I wasn't, uh, not only was I not the first alcoholic to don our family tartan. Mm -hmm. There's a clue about my last name. That's as far as we go. (laughs) There's no C in that. No, no. But family tartan. Scottish. What is it? Oh, he, he told you? He's a Scot. I mean, you know the last yeah, name? There are just so many clans. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I'm part Icelandic, part Scottish. So so there's my anonymity blown. <laughs> I mean, it's all over for yeah. you. Downhill from here. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so I wasn't the first member of my family uh, to get sober. And in the 70s, our family seem to have a notorious what I call two-step habit. Mm-hmm. They would, uh, you know, 
come to understand that they were powerless over alcohol. And look, so is she, and so is he, and you better do these 20 questions, because I think you're going mm-hmm. to be a winner on here. Mm-hmm. So there's this, uh, you know, and, and most people sort of buy the book. That's not how you do it. You work step one, and you go all the way through, and then you work step 12 after the other 11. But we kind of had a sort of codependent kind of finger-pointing recovery. Mm-hmm. And in a weird way, I don't recommend it, but it it worked. And so I was dragged to my first meeting after being found face up in my own vomit. You know, I, you know, in the hospital, my mom didn't even know where I was, found me the next day and, you know, finger pointing. And, you know, if you're not a real alcoholic, why are you afraid? Just go to one meeting and all right, already I'll go. How old were you? 14 when I went to my first meeting. And uh, I wasn't ready. I mean, I, I re- really had a reasonable expectation that I could, I could manage this. I could be a social drinker. I could have all of the benefits of, uh, you know, the avoidance and the ecstasy of uh, drugs and alcohol without the uh, uh, consequences. I consider myself a heavy social drinker because mm-hmm. that was cool with bad luck. Mm-hmm. That was true, uh, but not an alcoholic because that seems so clinical. Right. And the other thing that was unattractive to me was sobriety mm-hmm. because it sounded to me like a punishment mm-hmm. for admitting I was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Like I, I got it. The, they were promoting the idea of total abstinence. And man, I'm too young and yada, yada. And, and somehow there was something more romantic about dying a tragic alcoholic death than living sober for another, you know, X number of years. Like all those New Year's Eves, watching it on television. I, I didn't know what sobriety really was, but, you know, I, I just had this uh, very strong visceral feeling about it that it was unattractive. So uh, I would not have got sober I don't think, to save my own life. Because my heroes all died that way, I would too. Like, I mean, an alcoholic death is not a romantic thing at all. But I had this fantasy, this delusion about it. But then I was told that my cousin wanted to get sober. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't exactly true. <laughs> but somehow that was a life worth saving. She, I, you know, I was going to bring her to meetings, be a good power of example, get her up, up on, on her way. And then I, I don't know what my plan was. I was going to sneak out the door, die a tragic alcoholic death. But there would be a national holiday because I got her sober and she got someone sober and they got someone sober. Right. You know, I, I, you know, I, I just. Grandiose. Yeah, totally, totally grandiose. So, uh, but, so I was a case of. Uh, I wasn't planning on staying. I was. I, I learned how to hide out in plain view. And as a teenage addict or alcoholic, you are totally inauthentic. You walk into a liquor store, you look like you're old enough to buy whiskey. You walk into a bar, you have to act like you own the place, right? You're buying drugs from complete strangers. You have to act tougher than you are, mm-hmm. and, you, and like you know more than you do. So. You know, going to AA meetings and saying, I'm Joe and I'm an alcoholic, 
wasn't any confession. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just how not to draw attention to myself. Just another sort of costume or whatever. Yeah, totally, right? And it was good for my cousin, and she was going to get sober, and it was going to be great. And uh, and so I got to experience sobriety, kind of test drive it, because I was only doing it for her. And eventually I found out that sobriety wasn't a punishment for being an alcoholic. It was... Uh, uh, a blank canvas. Some people were living lives I didn't want, right. but other people were living lives that uh, I could, you know, uh, that they were kind of powers of example to me. They were they were still cool in my books. And so when you said, um, you know, I'm Joe and I'm an alcoholic, did you feel like you were lying or you were just like, yeah, whatever? Um, yeah, I, you know, I could have passed a polygraph test Right. Every time I said I would uh, quit drinking for the rest of my life, you know, if I was telling a parent, a principal, a girlfriend, um, you know, law enforcement, uh, I would, it, you know, if you had wired me up to a lie detector, it would say this kid is absolutely sincere. So I, I believed what I was saying, mm-hmm. but I was kind of out of my mind. And did you stay sober from 14? No. I, I, you see, I was brought to my first meeting when I was 14. Mm-hmm. And then by the time I was 16, you know, uh, I heard about my cousin wanting oh, to I see, yeah. find recovery. And so I started on a, you know, sort of power of example path instead of a knowing what the hell I'm talking about path. So, yes, yeah, so you waited until, you know, a long time till you were 16 years yeah, old. Yeah, yeah. Two, two more years, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. I know one person who got sober at 16 in states. I know two. Yeah. Actually, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I knew people who died of alcoholism and drug addiction, you know, in my running mates or in my circle, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, we went to funerals. It's not like you're too young to be an addict or alcoholic. But there are others, uh, you know, in our family, you know, we probably picked a few uh, out of the drinking herd and said, you got to get sober, you got to yada, yada, yada that, you know, who knows, maybe they were sowing their wild oats. But for me, uh, how do I know I'm an alcoholic? Uh, Because of my relationship with pecan pie. Because of my relationship with driving. You know, like if I'm driving to Florida from Toronto, I want to do it all at once. Mm. I want it to be intense. I want it to be painful. I want it to be like full throttle, right? I want to get there in 24 hours, right? Just coffee it up, you know, uh, speeding tickets, whatever. You know, maybe I'm not quite that chaotic in my life. But, I mean, this trip to L.A. had a little bit of chaos as I was uh, Tell me. Well, aside from the chaos I caused you. (laughs) Well, Well, I mean, it's not like I came from Toronto to L.A. just to do this show, although it's a very special thing. I I was coming to Arizona. Yes. uh, Are you the lead speaker? No, no, not the lead speaker. I'm, I'm one of many presenters at something called the Symposium on AA History. And I'm doing uh, an hour on uh, the history of unbelievers, which was the first word that our literature gave, you know, non-theists. It's not in there anymore, is it? Uh, Only where Bill Wilson is quoted. Right. Yeah. But yeah, now they kind of use agnostic atheist or humanist or... I mean, you'll notice that the literature that was written in 1939 and has been, you know, made sacred so they can't adjust it, like, you know, um, uh, it, it's, it sounds kind of old-fashioned. But if you read 
uh, like marijuana anonymous literature, like that was written in the 90s, mm -hmm. and it's contemporary language. If you read Online Gamers Anonymous 2001, it talks about we atheists and agnostics not as a second-rate means of sobriety, you poor suckers, you can't have this white light experience, but just as a, a regular everyday thing. And so it's only the original literature that really is sort of lost in reification. It's kind of, you know, because, I mean, let's face it, that book. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, here we go. Yeah. It uh, took 40 or 100 people to come to a consensus on writing it. Okay. Right. And because AA is really uh, owned by its members, AA is its members, and I can tell you why I feel that way uh, if you like, but uh, it's not a program. Yeah, I've heard you say that. Yeah, it's a fellowship, Yeah, right? And uh, you can't find any defense for AA as a program in our preamble, in our traditions. Well, and speaking of words having, you know, you know, being misused, I heard you say this on, maybe it was Rebellion Dogs. Mm -hmm. you, you work a program. I do. But, no, not you. Okay. One works a program, yeah. but people go, I'm in the program. It's like, that actually doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't make sense, right? What do you mean by that, right? Like, and again, it means something to people and other people not how long you've been in the program, right? But, it, you know, we're not in a program. And the problem with that is it becomes, the program becomes sacred. That becomes what AA is. And if people want to change a God as we understand him, to God of our understanding, to make it gender neutral, people get outraged about that. Or if they, you know, want to change it to, uh, um, you know, a power of example or you know, what, whatever, right? Some secular version of, you know, higher power or power greater than ourselves. People get offended. They get threatened. They think you're destroying what AA is. But AA isn't the program. Mm -hmm. it, we have a suggested program. And, and I will defend that program. It's a great program. I, I recommend it. Uh, but I'm not caught up on the language. I mean, uh, that book is printed in 78 different languages, maybe more. I, I don't know. Uh, you know, surely we can have a, you know, a secular language. And um, so what is your actual belief about what is out there besides? I believe that there is no God. And when I say that, I'm not saying that I know there isn't. I'm saying I just have no experience of that. You know, maybe I'm wrong, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you are a true skeptic, right, you know, I... Um, like what uh, Bertrand Russell said, right? You know, mm -hmm. the true free thinker uh, doesn't bow to the masses and doesn't bow to their own impulses. Uh, but they, if they bow to anything, it's to the evidence. Right. And sometimes there's new evidence based on new information that you can change your mind. And a true skeptic is like a child, right? Always willing to see, broaden their world by seeing it a different way. Right. So in 40 years, I've never had, a, you know, religious experience in AA. Uh, but there was a time where I thought believing and belonging were synonymous. And that concerned me. And, and now I, I don't. I definitely don't. Do you see religious and spiritual as synonymous? Well, I see belief in a personal God as a religious belief. You know, that, I mean, there are 
uh, all the Abrahamic faiths have a, you know, sort of single deity kind of thing, right? Uh, I think that's it. But, you know, like if someone has a Star Wars kind of idea, the force or something like that, I mean, that might not be religious. Uh, but most people, when they say, you know, we're spiritual, not religious, means we don't go to church on Sunday. But, you know, you know, some of the tenets are what I would call religious tenets. And, you know, I would think that the belief in a, a personal God is a, is a religious tenet. And I'm not saying that is a bad thing. I, if you believe in one and I don't, you know, that's just, you know, you're left-handed, I'm right-handed. It's just right. how we are, right? You know, it's not a higher level of awareness or, you know, doing more work. It's just, you know, I think it's more important to be authentic about it than it is to conform to it or to rebel against it. Yeah, yeah, despite the name of your company. Yeah, oh, well, you know where that line comes from? Yeah, rebellion dogs are every step. At first. Oh, is that what it says, at first? Yeah. I, I don't remember that part, but it's in the 12 and 12, right? <laughs> yes. But it's funny because it makes it makes no sense. It makes your name get stuck in my head. Like like the fact <laughs> that I know that's, an, that's from our literature, because mm-hmm. I just love the way you you know played with the dogs and i love i love words yeah yeah um i was in a uh aa band and we used to play like conferences and little you know open mic nights and things like that and uh the real genius of the band her name was kathy and she wrote a a a song called rebellion dogs and it was about actual dogs that were always barking outside her window that she could never rest she could never find peace because wherever she went right you know they were lurking around the corner it was a beautiful metaphor right beautiful song and a great play on words and you know i was playing that song in the 80s right and uh i just that has always stayed with me i i just liked it and uh um, I so like, like every great artist you stole. Oh, I, I, yeah, I researched. Yeah. You know, if, if you take from one, that is a copyright infringement. Right. If you take from a hundred, that's, that's research. That's academia. Right. Right. What, um, and are you still in touch? Does she know that you have? Oh, both? totally. Yeah. yeah. She, she's, she's flattered. Yeah. 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 It lives on. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Um, I remember when I got sober hearing a woman share that her sponsor was in a band called, this is amazing, Dr. Bob's Nightmare. Oh, wow. <laughs> what an amazing band name is that? Yeah, and that I just thought great. that is the coolest yeah. chick I've never met. Yeah. That is so cool. Yeah, I, I love those uh, great play on words. There's a, a women's... A secular meeting called She Agnostics. Yeah, that's cute. Great play on We yeah, Agnostics. Yeah, right, you know, yeah, but yeah, that Doctor Bob's nightmare because no one outside the club, if you're not in the book club, idea, you, yeah. you have no idea what it just. It sounds like a punk band or something, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, but anyone in the club, you know, immediate recognition of uh, oh, okay, we know what those people are about. And um, in terms of. Okay, I'm just going to delve a tiny bit into to my, you know, sort of spiritual belief or okay. experience. You know, never thought about it much, never had a bad idea about it. Um, and then my experience was the trying to quit drugs and drinking and later smoking. Um, I couldn't do it. I tried every sort of conceivable idea, and then the desire went away. Right. Was that y- your experience? With uh, eventually not... 
Yeah. Uh, um, like, you, do you think about using and do, do you have craving? You know what I mean? Uh, Did it go away? Yeah. Uh, no, I, I, I didn't have uh, cravings, but I mean, the uh, flaw in my recovery system was because I was so inauthentic. Right. Um, you know, I, I didn't have much of a foundation. I was, uh, you know, sort of, uh, I knew all the right words. I performed how it works when I read it, right? You know, yeah, and I sounded like I wrote it myself, that I believed it, <laughs> right. right? And so I was one of these uh, alcoholics that while my sobriety date never changed, you know, I had problems with, relationships i had problems with excesses of different kinds uh, i i say sometimes in meetings that i uh I, I i don't have any hobbies i started jogging because you know i needed to do something with all of this bent up energy when i got sober i started marathon running i started playing guitar and i became a recording artist right i i just i, I can't seem to do things just you know for fun yeah and so you know that i you know uh, you hear a lot of people talking about you know uh you know sort of addictions or obsessive compulsive behaviors and you arrest one and then it manifests itself in you know workaholism and and not that i'm saying working in an excessive amount is a disease uh, right. i'm not crazy about the disease model it's a good metaphor yeah i get it as a metaphor but i'm not uh, really, you know, I, workaholism is kind of a, a, we know what it means when we say it, right? And yeah, so, you know, I, uh, my emotional bottom was probably 25 years into recovery. Just Did you wait that long to tell people about your sort of spiritual? Kind of. I, I, I had a way of what I thought was being true to myself that um, allowed them to think whatever they wanted. I would say things like spiritual awakening. I, I don't know, but root awakenings. Let's talk. I've you know, and I would give an example of stories I had where I learned a lesson, and of the educational variety, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, I would say, uh, how about uh, can we have a God as we don't understand Him? Right. So you were you kind know? of getting laughs. Yeah, exactly. So I knew how to sort of without you know being mm -hmm. you know like too inauthentic for me <laughs> and. I mean, how it, what, how too authentic is does is it for someone who is a phony? And I was a phony, right? And and but but I, I really felt like other people were having an experience that I I didn't have. And there was a breakthrough uh, because of the internet. I found a community of non-believers in recovery. Uh, you know, I thought they were rare. I thought I was an oddball, and I you know started to really sort of rewrite my narrative and mm -hmm. and so and speak up for you know just how i saw things not as a an evolution of an old way of doing things but just something more authentic for me i i got to a point in my life like i had uh you know two divorces i've had two children from two different moms i've left you know sort of wreckage of heartache and all that sort of thing and always a victim of a series of misunderstandings and bad breaks and you know you got to understand that i'm the victim here and you know just like you know th there was a lot of mess bankruptcies mm -hmm. right so so you look at this and you go that's not uh that's not a conference speaker mm -hmm. that's not someone they're going to have at the world conference if you want what we have and are willing to go to any lengths to get it no no i don't, I don't want that <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't seem like a success story so 
you know, and that's that's embarrassing in in a way. You know, th- there were times where I was despondent about twelve step recovery because I I had um, naive notions that you know you do all these things and all your character defects will go away. And why didn't they? I must have done something wrong. Back to the drawing board, right? right. And and I don't see it that way anymore. I see it as a you know kind of a you know every characteristic has a healthy side to it and an unhealthy side to it you know what made me such a great liar is is my creative creativity Mm. right and so uh you know i i don't want to dampen the creativity i I need a recovery that has order but not with with a lack of spontaneity Mm -hmm. Uh, because pure order becomes uh rigid and then it becomes fascist i can get to the point where my way or the highway everyone else is wrong and you know that's no no way to live and 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 spontaneity can go to chaos Mm -hmm. where i lived a lot in chaos and i and i bounce from chaos to rigidness chaos Mm -hmm. to rigidness is binge purge binge purge and so when i was in this phase and then even from chaos you can go to nihilism what's the point right we're all gonna die you know who cares right that's that's not a healthy place to be and so uh you know i i i started to say what do i really believe and take a chance i would go to meetings and say what was true for me not knowing whether i would be allowed to stay mm-hmm. and not knowing whether i'd be well received and i was by some and not by others right you know you know it's going to offend some it's going to uh, bother some it's going to disturb some it's you know and for most people they're just waiting for their turn to talk they yeah exactly notice. oh still <laughs> yeah. talking i don't know yeah my turn. exactly yeah yeah so but it was a big deal in my head to yeah to, and 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 finding this authenticity uh, sort of renewed my recovery. Mm-hmm. You know, it just, um, you know, and it was at a time where in the internet I was finding like a lot of other people were feeling the same way. And if you look at Pew Research Studies and everything else, I mean, it's just a, a natural phenomenon going on in North America anyway. And, um, but how, so that was 25 years in? Yeah. How, how long are you? So uh, 40. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, so, you know, like I'm, uh, uh, yeah, so, I, like, I planned my speech for my 20-year medallion probably at nine months of sobriety. <laughs> I thought, you know, I'll be 36. I'm going to be, like, vice president of AA, you know. Right. So I'm going to be, like, uh, you know. And I wasn't even going to meetings at 20 years sobriety. I, I felt like a phony. I, I didn't want to be oh here's joe he's 20 years sober yeah yada, yada, yada. I, I just I, I was not right in my world I, I could see that and i didn't know how to find a way out and and i just just stayed away a lot right mm-hmm. i still have friends you know you, you get long-term friends in aa yeah and uh, i read a book by a guy who's an industrialist and he said he doesn't expect to gain any new friends in life because he said it takes 30 years to solidify a friendship. <laughs> wow, my mom, who's here in the audience, Hi, in Anna's mom, studio audience, um, is here because she's visiting a friend of 60 years? I'm 74 years old, and I've known this woman since nursery school. 70 years. Wow. Yeah. 
So 40 years ago, it became a real friendship, according to that definition. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, anyhow, this is what this guy says, right? When a friend dies, it's not like you can replace them, right? Because you're not going to live long enough to... But this, <laughs> this was one guy. It's pretty dark. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But uh, anyway, we're way off track of something. I, I know, know, but it was so interesting. <laughs> what um, We were on oh, your 40 years of sobriety. Mm-hmm. And, and so do you, and you go to meetings now? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I do. Uh, uh, you know, I find more and more I'm drawn to sort of the online presence, Facebook groups and, uh, you in know, podcasts. You yeah, in the rooms. Yeah, for sure. Like, I really, you know, like that stuff, right? And, uh, uh, you know, so as I'm adding more podcasts and that sort of thing, I'm probably getting to less face-to-face meetings. But, uh, you know, I, again, I'm not a dogma kind of guy. Like, I don't believe that, you know, if I stop going to meetings, I'm going to get very sick and die. Right. I mean, some relapses start from not going to meetings anymore, but so do glorious life choices, right? You know, lots of people, you know, like, you just look at AA. When I got here, we were under a million. We got to two million in '91, and it's kind of plateaued out, right? It doesn't mean AA is less successful; it just means that you know the average sobriety went in 1976 was two years. Like it was total chaos everywhere, right? You know, like it was a lot of very manic people, very depressed people, very like you know, wow, right? And now the average is ten years, right? And people ten years sober, I mean, they're not you know usually worried about paying the rent and right. you know all of the chaos of you know early early sobriety where how do they get these numbers in that they don't you know there're no you know surveys outside meetings and yeah they're uh they, they do a couple of things one is a, a triennial survey that they just hire columbia university and I, i'm not quite sure how they do it but if you trust polls and that sort of thing you know there you go right, right. yeah and uh uh, but you know, it's, it's, it gives you an idea. And if you look at these surveys, like right now it says 38% of members are female and the average member is 50 years old and the average sobriety is 10 years. And, uh, you know, six out of 10 come from the treatment world and God, I didn't know any of this. Yeah. Go to two and a half meetings a week. And, and that, seems true to me i mean that's sort of my sort of sense of none of those go oh that can't be true well outside you know when people go oh he has a five percent success rate and all that sort of um misconception out there yeah yeah there i play both sides of the fence pretty well because i am critical of alcoholics anonymous or the whole 12-step culture because I think we can do more and we can improve. And I think that being afraid of change is, uh, I mean, there is an alternative change. Unfortunately, it's extinction, mm. right? We, we need to evolve. So I, I'm kind of critical on that. But when someone comes and attacks AA from like an intellectual point of view or something, I can see that they, they're just, they lack an understanding, right? Yeah. It's kind of like I have a new... A restaurant and I'm writing a book about how awful McDonald's is of course you're going to pick on the biggest out there right you right. know it's an easy target yeah because it will never defend itself exactly right you know it's been called religious 
but it was never there to defend that you know so is it isn't it i don't know you know from my point of view again it's a fellowship where nothing is asked of you right you are a member if you say you're a member right uh you know you can do whatever you, you don't even have to stay sober to be a member just a desire yeah yeah so uh so people who say it's not successful I say, you know, how do you base that, right? They go, well, this many people came to AA meetings and, uh, you know, only this number of them were there after three months. Well, when you build a, uh, a fitness gym, right? Right. Everyone joins. Right. Does everyone go? Right. Right. Like uh, diets. Do diets not work because, you know people you know binge again right. you know so you know how do you really measure effectiveness yeah you know we have we all have this anecdotal uh you know i you know owe my sobriety to xyz or whatever it is right and you know the, the they say yeah, anyone who does that it'll always work yada 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 but you know so i i don't know i i know that the medical community they are uh, like we kind of um aa anyway not the organization but the the fellowship kind of uh uh absconded with the word sobriety because uh-huh. you can be sober after one beer and going through a breathalyzer test right but you can't in an aa meeting right right we've redefined sober as you know like total abstinence right yeah and you know like a lot of people will look at people who've been exposed to aa and say has their quality of life improved and if it has that's that's a success rate and the other thing is they talk about the people who leave aa well maybe those are the greatest successes of all they got what they needed they they're not meeting dependent yeah right they carried on with their lives how do we know what became of those people you can't call them all died drunk Right, right. You know, so, you know, they're trying to measure something and they have myths about what AA is and how to measure its sobriety. And uh, so I I will, uh, you know, I will mock them when, you know, Lance Dotis or any of these people. Gabrielle Glazier, she's the biggest. Yeah, totally. Exactly. And you've taken some heat from that, right? Like the AA bashers, they're this whole uh, diatribe. (laughs) And yeah, again, I'm playing with the word. <laughs> um, oh, tribe. Yeah, yeah. Oh, like it. Um, and they should die. That's what you're really saying. I know you're not saying that. Um, well, what I do, and and it's not just because it's uh, you know very uh, traffic friendly, but it doesn't hurt. Is I have a writer who kind of became disenchanted, mm-hmm. um, and she's an amazing writer. Yeah, and I let her do piece after piece about it. Yeah. But what's wrong with AA? Yeah. And, and, um, and you know, Buddhist alternatives to AA, yeah. smart recovery, and, and yeah. people go, you know, and so actually, I think those people like us yeah. more than they hate us. Right. And Because at least there's a voice. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. if anything, we're perceived as this anti-AA site when, like, the truth is 99% of us, like, feel like we owe our lives to it. Yeah. But I never wanted to... Um, ever put it out there that people had to do it the way I did it yeah for sure and you know it's all based on beliefs like to believe that alcoholism is a uh, like a a disease that is you can't be cured from we don't know that but but I believe that yeah right yeah you know I I see 
you know, evidence in my life where, you know, other obsessive compulsive behavior. You're talking I, about that drive to Florida. Yeah, yeah exactly. That, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I, I wrote a song called uh, Toronto to Miami, and it was just about, you know, doing that drive, getting to South Beach and wanting to be there tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you. What, um, in terms of your knowledge about AA history, like you are, and I say this um, non-pejoratively, total AA history geek. Uh, yeah, I'm going to this history lovers uh, thing, and it's I call it uh, spring break for geeks, right? right. Like, who wants to be there, right? You know, I, I do, Apparently, I totally, yeah, I, yeah. I, I want to be there. Uh, because I, I think it's, uh, it, it, you know, Ernie Kurtz, you know, was the first person who sort of wrote about AA academically. And I just loved how he could criticize without condemning. Right. Like he could see the strengths and the weaknesses, right? And uh, uh, Joseph Conrad, uh, or Joseph Campbell. Yeah. Conrad, that's a it, whole different thing. I have gotten them mixed up. Yeah, yeah, it's easy. Uh, um, you know, he talks about myths and faith respectfully, you know, in, in a way that it doesn't matter if it's true or not, because, you know, that's just what he, he just, you know, he's an anthropologist. He's interested in its relationship to people and, and, and their, the community and the sociology of it. And it's fascinating to them. So, so I have a, a, a fascination for AA as a society. And uh, I, I think I, I think the history of AA isn't something that happened in the 1930s and 40s. It's happening right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're going through transitions that you know will make or break if there's a hundredth anniversary, because that's not a sure thing. Um, we just ran a story this week on a group in Canada. Mm-hmm. That's suing AA because they won't include them. Are you are you part of this whole thing? It's not a, a lawsuit. There's no, I'm not part of it, but I'm aware of it. I'm familiar with it. There is um, something in Ontario called the Human Rights Commission, and they have a tribunal where it is against the law. It's the law that you can't discriminate against people based on gender, creed, sexual orientation, physical handicaps. Uh, mental handicaps, you know, there's a whole list of things, right? So it's a, against the law to discriminate. And uh, it, it's still unresolved that in Toronto, some of the original, there's uh, 11 agnostic, atheist, humanist, freethinker meetings in Toronto now. But at the time when they kicked out two of them, and then a third one started, and they kicked that one out too, that, that they've never been included in the, the book. They've never been invited to have a voice at intergroup. And so he said, hey, you know, you can't, you can't do that. You, you can have group conscience, but it can't be against the law. Mm-hmm. You can't say, you know, no gay meetings. You know, you can't say... But it's different literature, uh, well, isn't it? Again, uh, intergroup is just a, a, you know, a holding place where right. we get to participate in something. And if you sort of believe in the AA structure and traditions, if you're not part of that... You're not part of the larger community. And his position is, hey, you know, I have a, my right to AA membership is inalienable. AA didn't give it to me. Intergroup didn't give it to me. And intergroup neither grants me the right to have a group, nor can it take it away. 
you know, and you can vote this way or you can vote that way, but I'm taking issue with that. So there's a hearing, and no one's been found of any wrongdoing, but that's what's going on right now. <coughs> well, we have to get towards wrapping up. I don't want to put any pressure. Does mom have any thoughts? She's been sitting here, my very brilliant mother, <laughs> who I'm sure has been taking in everything. Um, I know. Well, you can, they can't hear you on a, with, if you're not on a mic. Oh, but that's you, okay. But, it, but we can repeat a question or a thought, and we can, yeah, true. We can riff off it. Joe can be your translator as if it's another language. <laughs> Ask me a specific question. Do you have any thoughts on our conversation? It's okay if you don't. It's a lot of pressure. Um, a lot of it, I don't understand. I am not part of this fellowship. Mm -hmm. And the literature is all foreign to me. So what she's saying, just because I am repeating, <laughs> okay. is that, you know, she's unfamiliar with the fellowship. Yeah. Um, and let, let me ask you this. Does it seem strange that an organization devoted to carrying you know, the message of sobriety to alcoholics would uh, be irritated or offended in any way by um, agnostics or atheists? Not at all. <laughs> I think it would be enlarged and um, to the betterment of the fellowship as a whole mm -hmm. to be as adaptive as possible. And I agree with you that if in, in all matters, not just your fellowship, one either adapts to change or grows extinct. And we don't need Darwin to tell us that. It is too bad that the listener can't hear her because that was extremely articulate. Yeah. Do you yeah. have a, do you have a photographing? Oh, okay. Really? Okay. Right on. And yeah, they, uh, I mean, you know, I, I really have a problem with catastrophic thinking, mm -hmm. and it happens on both sides, I right? I have it. Yeah, yeah, I, we all do, Fear. right? You know, like, I like to deny my own when I say something like, I'm against catastrophic right. thinking, right? But because we have, um, you know, these people that go, well, if we change this or it'll accommodate, fall it'll fall apart. You know, maybe the magic is in a word somewhere, and we take that word out, and everyone will get drunk and you know that'll be the end of AA so, I mean or if we make this accommodation what do we do next so that that's catastrophic thinking right that right. that the slippery slope and, and they usually use the word slippery slope yeah and, and on the other hand you hear you know if they don't change the literature it's you know it's there uh, you know I, I I have been known to say that if at our hundredth anniversary of Alcoholics Anonymous were gathered around the same 164 pages the the beginning of the big book that that has an article uh, uh, you know chapter two wives which is that's the one thing I I'm not down with yeah that, that it should be two loved ones and maybe it should you know even be authored by the Al-Anon perspective people who have suffered through what we've done. Uh, we agnostics isn't by agnostics. It's a it's warning to agnostics. It's not much about being agnostic yeah. either. Yeah. So, you know, like if we haven't in some way uh, sort of, you know, expanded past that, we're going to be considered like the Amish 
will be quaint, um, irrelevant, and harmless. But, you know, we won't be like the number one way that people are finding recovery. Like, it's just, I mean, can you picture millennials? I mean, you know, uh, it, uh, you know, like in Europe, most of them have never been in a church. Yeah, but I, I mean, we so have to wrap up. But, but I would say in this ever more spiritual culture yes. that millennials I know mm-hmm. are deep into the spirituality. Sure they are. Yeah, but they they don't want to drive their dad's old Buick, right? They they want to experience that and sort of share that in a, you know not in a rigid language, but in in their own way of you know relating to people. Like like who would use terms like I pray to good orderly direction outside of an AA meeting? I mean, that's a way of trying to fit into the mold. And express your, you know, uh, uniqueness, right? Mm-hmm. But you wouldn't tell a work associate that. You, no. you wouldn't use that in talking to your kids about, you know, you know, world views and how they differ. Uh, you know, the, the, there's a lot that we do to try to, you know, play nice. That, <laughs> that just why can't we just not be offended and and just everyone share the experience and let's not be so crazy about the explanation there now we can wrap up on where we started yeah we got back to explanation i think it's a good note to end on okay that was joe c on the after party pod go check him out at rebelliondogspublishing.com and thank you for listening after party pod